Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. So many great conversations over the years about so many great movies. And some stinkers. Well, true. But you know, producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. In season three, we covered even more great adaptations like The Night of the Hunter and It Happened One Night, both part of our Couples on the Run series. We talked about No Country for Old Men. The Coen brothers so rarely adapt someone else's work. We had some fun rom-com adaptations like About a Boy, based on the Nick Hornby novel, and Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, adapted from Rachel Cohn and David Levithan's book. In our terribly and naively named foreign language series, we discussed the brilliant City of God and the Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which I won't ever be able to watch again, ever. But could you read the original memoir? I don't know, maybe? We had our Richard Dysart series with adaptations like The Day of the Locust and Being There. Plus, we had that fantastic interview with the man himself. <laughs> the one where we had him sit on the floor? Because this chair was so squeaky. <laughs> Good times. We did our first Tom Hanks series with Forrest Gump adapted from Winston Groom's novel, plus Apollo 13 based on Lost Moon by Jim Lovell. And we did another year series looking at films from 1981, including Das Boot, Gallipoli, and Thief, all based on books. Listeners can dive deeper into all of these original stories and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, movie, video game. Video game. <laughs> you bet. We have talked about some video game adaptations as well. It doesn't matter the source, just follow the link. Every purchase supports the podcast. Check out the full list at thenextreel.com slash originals and get reading, watching, performing, or playing today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Boom. But, um, boom. But, um. <laughs> <laughs> That's when that comes in. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, there's a whole farm. <laughs> a haunted farmhouse. Oh, my goodness. Happy Halloween. Almost. I know. It's getting so close, isn't is it? Is it going to be Halloween? Uh, let's see. It's going to be Halloween next... Uh, no, it'll we have already. No, it'll be Halloween next week on the when yes, we record the show. So we'll be, so happy, we'll be happy recording pre Halloween. Well, ignoring all the children knocking at our doors. Get away from wow, the house! Kids. That's crazy. I that's actually true because this will be when we record normally. Because by by the time you are we still in the same time zone? Yes. Okay, so by the time we record, this will be when the high school kids come out. Right. The ones and that's, who egg your house when you don't answer. Yeah, when you don't answer. They're they're much they are hoping. These are the ones that hope for the trick. That's right. They're pray for trick crowd. Yep. And uh so there you go. I'm excited about it. I like the uh I you know, I, I like I like Halloween. I like it the the age my kids are right now. It's are you good. dressing it's up good. this year? Am I dressing up? I dress up every year. I always wear my costume on the inside. Do you <laughs> But but this year I it's may It's a costume called Hope. <laughs> or is it hysteria? <laughs> it's hard to see. <laughs> I'm going as depression. I wear it on the inside. <laughs> Sadness. Sadness. Oh, don't forget <laughs> seething rage. <laughs> uh, so what were you gonna say what are you doing you you i'm sure that you i may totally I may actually you'll be doing the as, show in costume uh, yes i just might be <laughs> if i wear my costume all day long i i may actually still be wearing it when it comes time to do the show won't that be a hoot <laughs> hoot and a half andrew hoot yes. and a half hoot and, a, and not not three quarters but a half <laughs> I if I go, I will go as the robot gunslinger, Yule Brenner from, from Westworld. Westworld. Right, look at you, yes. breaking out a classic. Put on a bald cap, put in the silver contacts, got my black cowboy outfit. Oh yeah, wow, I'm rocking it. I uh, I was planning on going as Melissa McCarthy from Identity Thief. <laughs> It's going to be me nice. in a big flower dress with a big gulp. <laughs> I thought that was kind of what you wore every day, though. <laughs> it's I not funny. More... <laughs> I don't drink soda.
This is the next reel, everybody. My name is Pete Wright. That there over there is Andy Nelson, and uh, we spoil movies heavily, sometimes more than one. You can find us at thenextreel.com. You can check out the fantastic writing, uh, uh, the, the smooth blog stylings of Steve Sarmento at nextreel.com slash blog and make sure you jump over to the contact page where you can find all of the direct links to everything else awesome that we're doing including flick chart for our top 100 list rank list our uh, letterbox page uh, you can catch up with us just about everywhere you want and don't forget most important the second most important thing maybe the third most important thing is follow Instagram uh, follow us on Instagram because Andy does the, the guess the movie thing which is That's very right. important. I'm saying it's the third most important thing, but it's it is <laughs> in the top. It made the top three. It's really fun, and he's a, he's a wiseacre with these photos. These guess the movie photos, but it's I gotta, a, I gotta pick tricky, otherwise people a, get in the first time. I'm gonna throw this out. I'm gonna throw this out because I think it's important that you and I talk about it in public, and I'm I'm gonna say it in public because um, you're afraid of what I'll do to you in private. Yeah, yeah. No, I just want one word for you. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Prizes. Oh, okay. Here's what I'm thinking. I think when you win, this is what we need to be doing. When you win a one of the weekly Guess the Movie challenges, you get entered in for a drawing. And at oh. the end of some period of time <laughs> yet to be cycle. determined, in 2018, <laughs> June 7th, uh, we're going to do a drawing. <laughs> That's not true. We won't wait that long. Uh, we're going to do a drawing, and you can win something, and I mean something great. That's right. Maybe a pony. <laughs> so, am I pretty? Pony, pony. Uh, real prize to be to be determined later. This is the guess the movie pony prize. If you guess the movie, you're entered into the next uh, to the next real prize drawing for the guess. What do you think about that? Are you okay with that? I think that's great. And is that retroactive for everyone who has won thus far? It sh I think it should be. Don't think you think so? Be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just because we don't have our act together, it shouldn't be their fault. <laughs> they shouldn't true. have to pay for that because of our tardiness. That's true. That's true. So that means she's a Magiza who properly yeah. guessed Amelie this past week after only three images will be entered into our wonderful what's it called the pony contest the guess the movie next real uh, pony prize the guess the real <laughs> guess the movie next real pony prize maybe it's the next real guess the movie that. pony prize yes what yeah. he said so we're gonna we'll we'll write something up we'll put the uh, rules rules for engagement which which really mean that that you and i can't win Right. And right. Uh, probably uh, Steve and Tom and Chad and Mike, they can't win either. Right, our, our film board yeah. gang. Yeah. Right. So they can't, none of them can win, nor nor can their spouses. <laughs> nor can any government employee. Nor can any government employee. <laughs> All right, so those are the rules, just a couple of rules. And that's the third most important thing I wanted to talk about. The second most important thing to talk about is make sure you head over to iTunes if you're listening to this on the website and subscribe to the show there and leave us a really nice uh, rating because we, we deeply appreciate that. Uh, and it helps others find the show. Uh, when you do that, when they search for things like movies or, um, you know, Justin Long or uh, Melissa McCarthy, Maybe mm -hmm. we'll maybe we'll show up in the search results, and that's what what I think really everybody wants. So thanks for absolutely thanks for that. Let's talk trailers. Is that the number one most important thing? Trailers. I'm I'm burying the lead, <laughs> so I'll get to number one, but it'll it, oh, it comes way oh. later. <laughs> All right, that was a, I, I let something loose. I want All you right. to, I want you to go first this week. So sticking with my romantic comedy theme. 
Let me I just did. interject. This is a really horrible one. Go. <laughs> yes, it is. The, you know, I've got to say, this is really not the season for romantic comedies. As much as I was really hoping that I could succeed in finding a, a, a nice little romantic comedy each week to to let loose upon the world. A new movie <laughs> in today's cinema climate in the month of October. I'll bet, I wonder if I could find a romantic comedy every like, single really... week. What hayseed would have come up with that plan? Only one. <laughs> Only one. Yes, indeed. That would be me. Find your lack of faith.com. <laughs> so my romantic comedy pick of the week is Here Comes the Devil. <laughs> you know, and we're laughing about this, but this is a freakishly... No, we're, yeah, we're laughing because the, not... the title... The yeah. title really rings a nice romantic comedy bell. Here comes the devil. Here <laughs> comes the bride. Here comes... This looks wicked horrible. This is a really frightening looking film that... Uh, let's see, I didn't look as to where this Man. is out of. It's a Spanish... It's in Spanish. The original title is Ahí va el diablo. It almost sounds a little more frightening in Spanish. And this is a film that uh, really did very well at Fantastic Fest this, uh, this past year. And um, it just looks absolutely frightening. It's about this couple who let their kids go play on this hill nearby, this like big rocky hill with giant rocks and caves and just terrifying stuff that you never should let your kids go uh, play near. They, the, the kids don't reappear until the next day and after everyone's looking for them. And then the kids are acting very strangely and the parents don't know what's going on. And then the daughter says, it was the devil. The devil was standing on my chest or something. And it just looks just freaking crazy after that. And yeah. uh, um, really no romance and no comedy at yeah. all. Yeah. <laughs> So, well, there is no, and so okay. So I should say the the uh, the trailer that we're posting on the site is the Red Band trailer. So uh, you know that's don't you know you know what you do with those. Don't see those if there are kids present because it really it's uh, really uh, it's completely inappropriate. One hundred percent. There's nothing appropriate about it. And uh, and we just say lots of fingers, lots of fingers. Man. The things they make those kids do. That's the only thing I think of anymore in these horror movies. When I think of what they make children do. Oh, I know. I think I started thinking that watching Pet Cemetery when they had the little gauge child like slicing open the the guy's ankle. <laughs> it's like, yeah. <sighs> it's not an ankle. It's a that's, that's, sausage. It's just right. you're it's just, just eating sausage. sausage. <laughs> Uh, so uh, when when does it uh, when did, when can we see it? Is it out yet? Uh, uh, is this is coming out in December. Limited release and iTunes at the same time coming out December thirteenth. Adrian Garcia Bogliano is directing it, and uh, it looks to be pretty freaking creepy. So, Merry Christmas to you all. There is your romantic comedy for today. <laughs> No kidding. Wow. Um, okay, so mine. Yes. 
Um, now, I, I read this has been on the festival circuit uh, for a while, and so we the, 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 the trailer came out a while ago, and, and, and I just rediscovered it because I was listening to the fantastic Doug Loves Movies podcast, and he had the cast on the show, and I realized, you know, this is a, uh, this, this film, the reason I like this film, and I don't need you know, there are a couple reasons I like it, but the, the number one most important reason is that it reminds me so much of my now oft-quoted and repeated favorite Alfred Hitchcock presents The Gambler. Ah, right? yeah. Right? Right. Yeah. And uh, so you guys. I this... didn't even put that connection together, but you're right. Yeah, no. And so this is like a movie of that. Uh, this guy with a lot of money who, like, bets these, has these guys, he just pays these guys to do really awful things to, you know, uh, themselves and then to, you know, other people and then to each other. And, and it just gets progressively worse. And more and more violent and uh, you know I, I found it interesting the, the cast is uh, interesting it's a, it was uh, uh, directed by E.L. Katz written by uh, David Chercherillo mm. mm-hmm, and Trent Haga uh-huh. uh, and uh, and it stars Pat Healy, Ethan Embry, Sarah Paxton, David Ketchner and Amanda Fuller and Ethan Embry which you'll remember of course from the hit teen uh, Breakfast Club wannabe Empire Records. Mm. Oh, right? yeah. He was a right. kid when he did that. And he came back out and he did uh, Can't Hardly Wait. And we saw him he tricked into, uh, you know, uh, vacancy and eagle eye and so he's, you know, he's been around. But he's, he's uh, he is uh, plays a really sort of interesting kind of spooky uh character in this thing and so i but everybody else you know i i quite <laughs> quite like that it just looks like a very serious and dark uh film for a lot of these uh actors uh, sarah paxton um you know pat healy has always been a little bit grim uh but uh but anyway it looks like it it looks like an interesting film uh cheap thrills it's um uh they just uh, they had the i don't know when does it actually come out uh they just did the friends and family thing February, uh, so it comes out in a couple months. Uh, but it's already screening. If you if you live in Austin, you apparently had like seventeen chances to see it already. <laughs> uh, so yeah, well, look it out looks, for cheap thrills. It looks pretty. It looks twisted. Yeah, pretty twisted. Yes, it does. Um, so that's that's where we stand apparently on romantic comedy month. <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> what it's brought us to. <laughs> we tried. We really tried. On that note, on that note, my friend, I think we should. Yes. I think we should. Uh, I think we should get into it. Let's do it. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Sleepless in Seattle. You called a radio station Christmas Eve. He phones in one of those radio call-in shows. He tells them that his dad needs a new wife. And the shrinkette practically forces a guy onto the phone and says, "Tell me, what was so special about your wife?" Well, Dr. Marshall Fieldstone, I think it was like magic. magic. Sleepless in Seattle? That's what she called him on the show because he can't sleep. And now 2,000 women want his number. Dear Sleepless in Seattle, you're the most attractive man I ever laid ears on. The guy could be a crackhead. Actually, he sounded nice. You know it's easier to be killed by a terrorist than it is to get married over the age of 40. That's not true. That statistic is not true. That's right. It's not true. But it feels true. Sandy has a girlfriend, Glenda. She's a weightlifter. 
It's not like her neck is bigger than her head. No, 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 no. I'm not asking you to set me up. What about Walter? Walter and I are engaged. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man, man, man on the face of the earth. I'm the Garrick life. I'm the Garrick life. When's the last time you were out there? Jimmy Carter, 1978. Things are a little different now. I am having all of these fantasies about some man I have never even met who lives in Seattle. It rains nine months of the year in Seattle. I know. Tiramisu. What is tiramisu? You'll see. Some woman is going to want me to do it to her, and I'm not going to know what it is. You'll love it. What if I never meet him? What if this man is my destiny and I never meet him? Your destiny can be your doom. I want to meet you. Where is Seattle? Right. Where's Baltimore? That's right there. Look, one, two, three, four, there's like 26 states. But what I really don't want to do is end up always wondering what might have happened and knowing I could have done something. Is this crazy? That's what I'm trying to tell you. What women are looking for. Packs in a cute bun. This is the one I like. There is no way that we are going on a plane to meet someone who could be a crazy, sick lunatic. Didn't you see Fatal Attraction? You can't even turn on the news nowadays without hearing about how some babe thought some guy's butt was cute. So how's my butt? Not bad. Really? Yeah. Is it cute? You're grading on a curve? I, Andrew, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to tell you. Uh Uh-oh. Makes me nervous when you say that. I freaking love this movie. <laughs> okay. Phew. I do. Yeah. I didn't. In fact, this is one of those rare movies where I, this is one of those movies. Maybe it's because I was in the lifetime uh, movie uh, mood, right? I had it on my iPad. I put the iPad up on the side on the bedside table and it was like, it was like 1115 at night, you know, and I was at mm-hmm. my wife's out of town. I'm totally alone. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I, oh, I need to watch this. I need to watch this stinking movie for the week. Okay. All right. I'll turn it on. I watched the whole thing, and I could not turn away. I couldn't oh, turn nice. away from it. I I actually remember liking it less than I like it now. And oh, I interesting. Yes, I like it. I like it a lot more than I've in the past. Well, good. Now I'm sure because of your unnatural uh, attraction to Tom Hanks. Uh, that you that you still like this movie, right? I still love this movie. I've always loved this movie. Um, it's funny. My wife and I were watching it uh, together, and let me guess, she doesn't like it anymore. No, she still loves it. But I was like, "Gosh, can you believe this movie is twenty years old?" And she just looked at me like she was going to kill me for saying that. Oh. And then I'm like, "Gosh, I wonder how old Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan were when they made this." And I looked it up, and I'm like, man, Tom Hanks was 37, and Meg Ryan was 32 when they made this film. And my wife looked at me like she was going to rip my head off for having told her that. <laughs> because, and then she looked at me, and she said, I, can't, I still picture them as older than me. I can't think of that. I can't think uh... of these people as being younger than me while watching this. And it's funny how you, you place these 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 moments of these movies in your head and you see these people at a certain age and all of a sudden you realize that this story is about people who are younger than you are. You're like, wow, that really puts things in perspective. 
You know, it's it's funny. So I saw this. I it, it, this movie. This was this movie came out in 1993, June 25th, 1993. Right. And uh, I was not dating anyone at the time. I actually went. I brought. <laughs> I was using. I was using the Franklin Planner. For those. Oh years. yes, Andrew. I think you remember because you and I actually. I think made trips to the to Frank the to the Franklin store. store before. This was pre Covey. That's right. It was yeah. just the Franklin store, and wow. uh, and we got the uh, the was it the it was the Benjamin Franklin set. That's right. Yeah, the blue embossed. It was really quite lovely, and I still have. <laughs> you remember they had those binders right at the end of the year? You're supposed to put oh, your entire past year into those ridiculous binders. Yes. And uh, and I have those I still have those binders. Save for life. <laughs> Why? Yes. And you know who knew? Who would have known that the only reason I would need to go back to those ridiculous binders is for a twenty years later podcast talking about Sleepless in Seattle? Wow, that's I awesome. Have, I have not revisited those for any other reason <laughs> in twenty years. That's amazing. So this is well, this see? is this is not that show. It was all worth it, though. <laughs> it was all worth it. Uh, but what I, I was not dating anybody at the time, and and I went to to uh, I remember seeing this film uh, thanks to my Franklin planner system uh-huh. uh, with a woman who um, and and we ended up I I was dubious in my in my Franklin journal entry, and I I had written down uh, this uh, this quote. Uh, that I said, who talks like that? As if to say, uh, you know, who who talks like that? You know, no no one talks like that in this right. movie. That's ridiculous. This maudlin and this ridiculousness. And and she said, every one of the the people in my head talk like that. <laughs> wow! Right now, I feel twenty years have gone by, and I feel like I get that. I get it. It took me 20 years to get. I almost want to write her a, a letter, a nice letter that that tells her I get it now. Because, and here's why: what I think that um, you know, uh, Jeff Arch and and Nora Ephron and um, uh, you know what they what they capitalize on is the is the the voices in in our head, and and I even think they do so more than than the other uh, Meg Ryan that we've already talked about, the, the when Harry met Sally. I think this is a, a superior film. To when Harry met Sally, I said it. It's a superior <laughs> film to when Harry met Sally. I think in the in terms of what the movie is, where the movie's core strength is, is capturing our romantic vision of, um, you know, white widowers in love. This is the quintessential film uh, for for that set. Wow, that's a very specific set. We're <laughs> <laughs> gonna do a new series. <laughs> the White Widowers in Love series. You know, it's it is there is a there. <laughs> you make you make me sound dumb. <laughs> no, it's beautiful thing. No, it's a, but do you know do you know what I'm saying? Like this is the this is this there is an identity, a cultural identity that comes with this film that I think it celebrates what our ideal uh, love um, uh, sounds like. And I and think this that's is the that. key. That's that's the key thing about this film, and I think this is one of its. Uh, many strengths is that this is not just about uh, a story of love. This is a story about love in the movies and really how love in the movies is something that for 
decades now has been something that we, you know, put upon our own expectations of love. And it's, it's this interesting cycle of love, movie love, our expectations of love because of movie love, and it, this kind of perpetual, it's not quite a vicious cycle, it's this wonderful cycle of love <laughs> kind of going around as, as, as how it all affects each other and everything, all the expectations and what we want to see and what we want a love story to be like. And uh, which is different than, I guess, you know, what our own love stories would be like. But there's something really magical about the way that love happens in the movies and the way that this movie uses that as a tool um, and not just as a tool to kind of show how these two people fall in love in this particular movie, but also how they emphasize it using clips from An Affair to Remember and just talking about you know, actually talking about it in the movie, which you don't ever see, and actually having actors and characters talking about love in the movies in a movie about love, I think was really kind of groundbreaking. Oh yeah, uh, yes, uh, absolutely. The um, the uh, Victor Carver, Rita Wilson, and Tom mm-hmm. Hanks sitting at dinner. Uh, That's uh, just one of the best. Is is one of the best sequences in the in in the film. What uh, we can uh, we'll t- we can talk about that in a minute. Uh, let's talk about the the arc of of romance in this film. Like th- this was a risky film as a as a romantic comedy uh, because it starts off on the premise. I mean, they one of the things I heard Jeff Arch, uh, who who was credited as writing the story, uh, the first drafts of the film, said is that you know the first thing you do when you start trying to come up with a romantic comedy like a romance film like this is you try to find ways for the for the two characters not to be together right what do you yeah. put in the way of their relationship right and and i think what what they ended up doing there is is doubling down on um you know avoiding the meat cute uh as uh, you know in in a way that that probably today would would never be a film that would be made right i mean we're going to put tom hanks in meg ryan and meg ryan in a film and we're they're never going to meet until, right, till, until the yeah. very very end of the film and uh i i i think that is a that's a, a risky proposition less risky where with you know where they were when they were 38 and 32 uh but still uh risky yeah and uh so what's what's your sense of of the risks they took in this film uh in terms of the uh, the overall arc of the couple and the romance it, well i mean the nature it is risky when you have two actors in a film and you don't put them in the same space. You know, you kind of are one of the big elements of telling a love story is actually having the couple spend time together and, and enjoying watching them interact. I mean, that's kind of part of the nature of it. This film, I mean, there's only, you know, the three scenes really with them together. Um, one is the, when he sees her at the airport, two is when she's stalking him and then oh, the away, yeah. right in the street, and then three at the at the end, and that's it. And those are the only times we ever see them on screen together. And it's it's very interesting that the rest of the time it's them and other people. And for a Tom Hanks Meg Ryan comedy, of which there are three uh, romantic comedies, um, this is the only one where they hardly have any screen time together. And it must have been interesting making this film for the two of them to have so little time together. <laughs> you know, I mean. I mean, there, there's the idea of the other, but that's that's really it. And they don't get to be together. It's it is very risky. Uh, you know, 
Um, I, I think smartly, uh, Delia uh, Efren, who's uh, Nora Efren's sister, she um, she came on board once they started making the movie to kind of work as a her credited title is associate producer, but my understanding is she came on to kind of be a, a, a writer during the course of production to kind of fix scenes and, and kind of do cleanups and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. She said that the problem with romantic comedies, and this this may be why romantic comedies has been kind of fading away from uh, at least what we think of romantic comedies, it's been kind of fading away um, in recent years. What keeps two people apart is really what the romantic comedy is about. It was a lot easier, you know, you know, 50 years ago, 70 years ago, to have a romantic comedy where there were all these much more strict rules about manners, about divorce, about uh, just uh, you know, polite society, about you know, the way the roles that people had. And nowadays, there's just not as many of those rules, and so it's a lot harder to come up with reasons to keep two people apart. And um, in a lot of modern movies, it's usually nowadays it's like one person's engaged to somebody, and that's you know the other per uh, they they meet somebody else, and then they have to figure out who to choose. That's kind of become almost like the cliche way to get out of this uh, you know struggle of keeping these two people apart. And so it was a real challenge for this film. How do we keep these two people apart? And uh, I'm not sure when they hit upon it. I am guessing it was Jeff Arch when he first came up with the story. Put them on opposite sides of the country so they don't actually know each other. That is a great, great way to keep two characters apart and and create this story. But yeah, I can imagine that it is a very tricky script to sell to people, especially when you're trying to get it into Hollywood with some bigger actors. So I could imagine it could still get made today, but you know, the way that the market has really been going with romantic comedies, uh, you know, Steve actually posted a blog post uh, over on our site that uh, has a link to a Hollywood reporter story about how romantic romantic comedies are kind of dead now. Um, It it may be harder to get it made now if, if uh, they're not actually on screen together. And I can see the Hollywood executives saying, oh, you know, it's a great, but, you know, let's find more ways to get them together more often over the course of the script. Well, and, and look at the movies that you picked. I mean, uh, so what, what, what did you do last week? It was the terrible movies, right? Both of those movies were. Yeah. Ever, uh, and never ending love or an endless love. Endless love. Right. And uh, whatever the other one was. Yeah, yeah. So these are this, these are sort of modern romance movies where they they bring the couple together very quickly and then do their best to just make it hard for them to be together, you know, not yeah. to keep them apart, to to kind right. of revel in in them joining one another, but to see just how hard we can make it once they are together. Uh, right. You know, what are the troubles that exist internal to the relationship? You know, right. rather than external in the world, and you know, sort of cultural issues. And I think that one of the things I like so much about Sleepless in Seattle is that they, you know, insofar as it's a romantic comedy, um, you know, it's a romantic comedy that actually puts uh, both of these characters in very much kind of an everyman position. Uh, yeah. You know, it is it is the the way the film opens is really dark. Uh, you, you know, Tom yeah. Hanks, ex, you know, going through the motions of explaining why, uh, you know, why Maggie has has died and how she got sick very quickly and died. And we see just very, very brief sequences of, of kind of the mourning period. And then then we move into, um, you know, them deciding to relocate and move to Seattle and not be around the memories. And mm-hmm. I think one of the things I like so much about it is they didn't they didn't um, fixate too much on. 
getting into the movie in this case. I mean, we see they, it's it's set up. It's uh, they show us, they demonstrate the setup, and then they move into the into the comedy part, and that that yeah. allows us to be in Seattle uh, with Tom Hanks and, frankly, with with uh, Jonah, uh, right. who is who you know. If if you know if if everybody else wasn't so strong, Jonah would totally have stolen this movie, right? Well, and the it's a very smart beginning to the script because it it lends us some gravitas to the story and it really puts us into the right mind frame mm-hmm. for this. You could easily have done this as just two people who coincidentally meet on opposite sides of the country. They somehow end up you know, corresponding through some radio show or something. And then it turns into kind of a romantic comedy of errors as they try to bump, as they try to find a way to meet together and they keep bumping into each other or not quite bumping into each other. I could totally see it, it being written that way. And well, we saw just, that movie. It was up in the air. Well, no, but I mean, more <laughs> of a, yeah, yes, that's, that's quite right. Although I, I, I think more in the kind of, you know, Jennifer Hudson, Matthew McConaughey, romantic comedy mm-hmm, sort of mm-hmm. style rather than something that's a little, has a little more seriousness to it. You could easily go that route. But by having that moment at the beginning, it really puts us in a place where somebody really is uh, kind of broken and they, you know, you need that character transformation in this character to kind of move past that and, and find that magic again in his life. And I think that's yeah. what really makes this movie um, a little more special than a lot of the more standard romantic comedies that it just, you know, they don't have a real grounded sense with the characters. Paul Greengrass was recently on the uh, Apple Meet the Filmmaker podcast and and uh, you know he's talking about Captain Phillips and one of the, the his comments about Tom Hanks in general uh, is uh, that that I really latched onto is is uh, you know he said what makes Tom such an incredible a world-class actor is his ability to be that everyman uh, you know, you it is really easy because he is so nuanced and real. Uh, it's really easy to watch him in a scene and believe that that could be you or that could be your best friend or your brother. I mean, that's that's where he uh, that that's his stock and trade. Uh, and I think this film, you know, is the strength of of his mourning and you know the journey that he is led on by you know his his brother in law and his son. Um, it, it, you know, is is on the back of him portraying this kind of everyman, um, and and his strength as a as an actor in this case, and and not making it too goofy, yeah, which it could easily be goofy. And as you say, I mean, it, you know, they they could very easily have opened with the radio show. I mean, that that they, that could have been the setup. And in fact, Jeff Arch has said, you know, in the, in the original draft, um, uh, it, it was not Jonah that called the radio show. It was it was uh, actually Sam who, who oh, called the radio show himself in the initial draft, and and so that whole conversation, you know, she was, um, you know, she was uh, Annie was actually uh, listening to him. Sam, huh. yeah, interesting. Yeah, well, and in the original version, uh, it actually started. They both Annie and Sam both lived in Chicago. He, you know, his wife passed away, so he moved to Seattle, and she had just broken up with her boyfriend, and so she moved, initially it was to Pittsburgh, um, and then they decided to make make it even farther, stretch them farther apart, move her all the way out to Baltimore. Um, 
I but, would, I, would, I do want to say just parenthetically what what uh, what Jeff said uh, uh, says about that, and particularly he said nobody that looks like Meg Ryan would have been from Pittsburgh at all ever. <laughs> Which, That's pretty funny. I don't. I, I've never spent much time there, but I I I haven't. I've never spent any time there at all. But it it it's kind of funny. I'm, I'm not even sure what that means. But. I know, right? <laughs> I don't either. I sort of don't want to touch it, but it makes me laugh. If you're from Pittsburgh and you see people like Meg Ryan all the time, please let us know. Instagram them. Please. Uh, yes, how, how wrong Jeff Arch is. But uh, originally, uh, they had this moment at the beginning where Annie moved because she broke up with her boyfriend. And I think very smartly they realized, you know, there, that just doesn't compare with somebody losing their wife. It's not going to be the same type of feeling that you're getting in that character and you're not going to be as invested in that character because you're just like eh, why you know so she lost her so she broke up with her boyfriend that's nothing compared to a guy who's lost his wife and smartly they realized that the audience wouldn't care as much about her if that if they started that way so they just started her in baltimore right away with walter which is great and that's something else about this creating a much more realistic world for our characters that I really like in this film is you don't have like the, the cad of a boyfriend that everybody just can't believe that she's with. Um, He's a really nice guy. I mean, sure. He's got his issues. He's, you know, he's got his allergies. He's got his colds. My wife actually started cracking up uh, in the scene in the bedroom because she said, yeah, that (laughs) that, that totally reminds me. Yeah. She's like, you're, you're him. It's like, oh, thanks. I'm I'm I, Walter. I want to be Sam. Come on. I know. I am too. I'm totally the Walter. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, you know, I do, that is a such a great point. He is not. I mean, he's he's broken and, um, uh, you know, he is uh, sort of frail. Uh, yeah. But you know, again, to that to that everyman uh, point, he is he's us. Right. And one of the things I think that the movie does so well is it celebrates the fact that even though Meg Ryan is going through or Annie is going through the, the, you know, the sort of crisis of relationship conscience that she's going through and the struggle of just kind of love and lust and attraction and and what it means. uh, Still, they portray their relationship as functionally perfect. Right. Yeah. It is a machine that is perfect. And and, uh, you know, that that I think makes it so much harder uh, to watch. It makes the 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 transformation of relationships so much more powerful, uh, yeah. you know, finally, when they're in the restaurant at the end. And, and you know, every time her gaze wanders over to the Empire State Building, you know, you're you're with her. Right. And And yet you're not. You know, how could you possibly walk away from what is perfect. Yeah, right, exactly. And what he says there is great. He's like, look, look, I love you, but let's let's put that aside for a minute. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. I don't want to be anybody's, you know, second choice or whatever he says. I mean, it's just great. And that is so rare to see in a romantic comedy. It's typically that person who just ends, who's just, you know, is so not right. And because they're just, they're a, an evil character. There's something really just uh, they're vain or uh, you know whatever it is, and and it's so nice to see just a really nice guy as the foil, so to speak. And I I think that's just another of the great strengths in this script. And Rosie O'Donnell is you know and Rosie O'Donnell, her second uh, movie with Tom Hanks exactly. after uh, League of Their Own. Right. You know, interestingly. Um, 
uh, Rita Wilson, Tom Hanks's wife, actually had read for that part, but um, they had already found Rosie and they just loved her so much in the part, so they ended up giving Rita Weiss, Wilson the sister-in-law part. Which, which I, think I think was think, better. Oh, and, yeah. and you know, her moment where she's kind of reliving the moment of an affair to remember. I mean, that is just Perfect. one of those classic movie moments. And was I not, think that it, in the script originally, it was improvised, I believe. I, I don't know, but yeah. I, I, I think that that is one of those scenes that stands out more than any scene that Rosie O'Donnell's in. Yeah. So oh, she, she ended up in the right part. Absolutely. And you, Victor Garber, uh, I had forgotten Victor Garber was in this and as a sort of supplementary kind of character, ancillary character in this film. But I, you know, I, yeah. he and I became really close friends in Alias uh, <laughs> every every week. Good old Victor Garber. <laughs> God, whatever happened to Rambaldi? That cad. <laughs> and I forgot David Hyde Pierce was in this. Yes, briefly. <laughs> briefly, briefly, yes. Yeah. But it was nice to see him before was... he was a, a walking stick and before he was on, on Frasier and all that. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, the boy... Ross Mallinger. He is so great at being an eight-year-old. Man, I really have a hard time with kid actors because they really have to be believable. And I shouldn't say I have a hard time with the kid actors because I think kids are really good typically at just kind of being honest kids on screen. Mm -hmm. I think I have a hard time with the way that some adults write kids. I think that's probably the better way to state it. And I think when you and I talked about Looper, we talked about that kid. And because and I, I, as I recall, that kid was pretty, pretty good in that. Film. Uh, yeah. I mean, transcendent. Yeah. It was like a robot, little robot version of a child. <laughs> robot perfection, child perfection. From the future. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but Ross Mallinger uh, is just one of those kids. I mean, he plays off of Tom Hanks so well. I 100% buy that he's Tom Hanks' kid. Uh, it just uh, when they are having an argument, I completely am just blown away by how real he is and how honest everything is in the arguments. The whole fight about uh, toward the end when when Tom Hanks is getting ready to um, go on his date, I think, or, or something. And um, they're fighting and they're arguing. and he Wandering breaks, back and forth. Yeah, wandering room room. back and yeah. forth, which, again, is just a great way to direct a scene. You're kind of just, there's so much movement going on. But, you know, fighting about uh, fatal attraction and all that stuff. <laughs> just All of that. And it's, you know, aside from their great performances, I mean, the writing is just impeccable. I love just <laughs> did you see fatal attraction you wouldn't let me <laughs> uh, it's just it rings so true and ross mallinger is so great in it and so uh, i absolutely love him this is another one uh, uh the relationship there apparently is written based off of jeff arch and his daughter uh, oh, and and he says this was very much inspired by by not only the relationship I feel like I have with my daughter, but she's a little younger than Ross was in the film. He says it was definitely inspired by the relationship I want to have and wanted to have at the time uh, with my daughter. This is very much how we talk to each other, he says. So. And my understanding is um, uh, Delia Efron um, writes a lot of kid stuff and she came in and, and ended up doing some playing around with uh, a lot of the kid language. Like she came up with a whole, um, like all of the MFEO, all of kind of like oh. the abbreviations that, that the kids use. That's kind of her, she, she brought a lot of that to the table, just a lot of that sort of kid stuff. So 
Oh, that was so good. Yeah. Um, N Y. <laughs> N Y. What was her name? What's her name? Gabby Hoffman. Gabby Hoffman, of course. My. Oh yeah. Goodness. She we talked was... about her in Field of Dreams. Exactly. She was young. My she was a kid. Goodness. You know, she was in the head film Volcano. <laughs> yes, she was. Now, she was uh, now, Tommy Lee Jones' daughter. <laughs> that's a disaster film right there. She was also just in, uh, um, what was that, uh, Crystal Fairy, the, yeah. the yep. Michael Sarah movie we talked about the trailer for recently. Huh. Nice. Uh, oh, she, so they were great. Um, I, I think, uh, yeah, like I said, I think that, that Steele's film. Got totally sidetracked on Gabby Hoffman. Don't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, it is a great cast all around. Um, it's nice seeing uh, Rob Reiner pop in for a few scenes. I mean, he's so fun to see on screen. You get kind of lost in the fact that he's a director now that it's rare to see him actually pop up in a film, but it's fun to watch him do it. I really enjoy seeing him again. Oh, and uh, um, come on, uh, from the law film with the handsome lawyer, or from the lost TV series with the handsome lawyer, uh, the round guy, um, Michael Badaluco. Michael Badaluco. Was yeah. in it briefly. Yeah, very I love briefly. these. I it's like they're it's like they're cameos until you remember this movie was twenty years old and they weren't cameos. <laughs> yeah, this was before he actually was in <laughs> it was anything. Pre cameo. This was one of his very early things. Yeah, yeah, I think we talked about him last in the professional. We did. We did. Yeah. Uh, really, really terrific uh, all, all the way around this film. It's hard for me to to find anything wrong with it. I I um, did we say Bill Pullman? I think we said Bill. We Pullman. did say Bill Pullman. If not, we should have Walter. said. We Bill should have Pullman. said Bill Pullman. He was he was Walter. Yes, he was uh, great. As well. he, he's great and not annoying at all, <laughs> even though all of his deficient through his deficiencies. Um, and I love. Um, oh, now I, now that I said, it, I'm not going to find her. Uh, 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 well, Carrie Lowell is is the lovely dead wife, and we see her a few times. Mm-hmm. And she, I'm just using to cover while I try to find who it was I was going to talk about. Oh, Dana Ivey, I think is just really funny as the, uh, it's such a bit part, one scene as the rich uh, lady having them design her house. But she's, I just love her character. Like when she's talking to him, it's just like, oh, I just love it. It's better to do it right. No, I love it when a man can share his emotions. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I called my mother and I said, "Mother, you have to turn on the radio. It's my it's my architect. <laughs> it's my architect." <laughs> oh, just so she's good. just so great. Not yeah. Bad. yeah, all all the way around. I mean, uh, this oh, yeah. uh, everyone fits like uh, it's just a wonderful wonderful tableau. Um so this film was uh was uh, let's see because we've already talked about uh, Jeff Arch and Nora and um, Dahlia uh, Efron. We haven't mentioned our friend David S. Ward. David S. Ward. That's that was the next one. So go yeah. ahead. Yeah, talk about how important you are. <laughs> I wasn't going. Been, it's to. totally why you've been waiting. I wasn't gonna. You brought it I up. Gonna. You brought it up, <laughs> and now you're still talking about it. Well, I do have a DVD of of. Uh, uh, Sleepless in Seattle that he did sign. I, or I had, oh. it, I had it signed for my wife, actually. Oh, hi, Paloy. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> Pete made me. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how did you uh, how'd you happen to score that? Just out of curiosity. Uh, he came out to the Phoenix Film Festival a few years ago. I was uh, I was running the Arizona Screenwriters Association at the time, and he we we brought him out, and uh, we brought him out to screen uh, his latest film that I think was Flyboys, I believe. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, I did a little uh, sit-down chat with him, and we talked about all of his films and everything, and, uh, and yeah, then I had him sign that for my wife. Epic. Epic. Nice. Yeah, that's, that was nice of you. <laughs> yeah, I had him sign the sting for myself. Oh, that's good. All right. Well, at least you got some. Out. There you go. Music uh, uh, in this film was uh, uh, super-duper important, as they say in the business. Yes, it was. Speaking of, as we've been talking about romantic comedies with music, I mean, man, the songs in this one just are all through it. And I really like what she did with it, finding all of these standards, but not like the standard version of the standard. She finds like fun versions of them or just slightly different versions. And I really like the, all the stuff that she picked to play all through the film. Um, I particularly have always... And perhaps ridiculously loved the um, Jingle Bells slash Sleigh Ride performed by Roy Rogers and Dale Evans that uh, Meg Ryan sings to. In the <laughs> and I know yeah. that it's probably one of the most annoying Christmas songs ever written, but I flip and love it. And let me tell you, I went on like a five-year quest to figure out what album that was from. And uh, I did finally find it, and I have it now. What, what, is, what album is that from, please? It's called Christmas is Always. By Roy Rogers and Dale Evans, and it that's really not, is. A, that's not. That's not a sentence. It's not true. It's not. It's, it's <laughs> those not are true. just. He's just putting words <laughs> together there, right? You know. You know that. That's right. That's right. It's really not a great album, but that song is on it, and that's all I really cared, <laughs> cared about. Uh, okay. All right. Yes. Well, the whole the whole soundtrack is fantastic, and that's uh, it, you know you do get some of the, some of those uh, standards. Lots of Jimmy Durante and Louis Armstrong, Nat King Cole, but you do get Making Whoopi performed by Ricky Lee Jones with Dr. John, uh, We Small Hours in the Morning, Carly Simon, um, Joe Cocker's Bye Bye Blackbird. You know, it's a yeah. it, it is a but, it's a fantastic and and the music was uh, the score was done by um, Mark by Shaman. Mark Shaman, who yeah. is a great. He's great doing this sort of uh, a film where there's just lots of music all through it because he likes to kind of play with it where he's kind of like a almost like a music director and he mixes just little short bits of score in throughout while there's a bunch of other music. John Barry originally was offered the job and uh, and he was going to do it. He was very excited about it, but then they said, "Oh, well, let's introduce you to the musical supervisor and." You know, any composer knows that when there's a musical supervisor on board, that more than likely there's not going to be a whole lot of score. And so he ended up uh, hearing that there was about 20 songs, and he's just like, eh, yeah, I'm out of here. So he bailed on it. And of course, Mark Shaman, who does great with this sort of stuff, he came in and, and wrote some really nice themes that work really well. And then, of course, they used some great classical music pieces from the score from An Affair to Remember, right, which right. really builds the, the climax of the film quite nicely. It sure does. Yes, indeed. Yes, um, indeed. What do we What do we know about this? Uh, you know, this Sven Nyqvist. Yeah, he's been him? around for a little while, hasn't he? <laughs> he it's just uh, yeah. He's a, uh, yeah, yeah. So okay, so time began, and then there was Sven, 
Sven Nyquist behind a camera. That's pretty much then to, to, you know, roughly <laughs> roughly the mid-aughts, 2000s. Yeah, he, he really was a busy boy. Really was a busy boy. I don't know when he started uh, coming over here, but he really has just been making lots and lots of movies. You know, so, um, yeah, he's he's a great cinematographer. I think that he captures just the... Just the, it's nothing too fancy in this film, but it all just feels there's something kind of slightly romantic about it. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just kind of maybe the color palette also with the production designer, but something just has this nice feel to it all through the film. Well, and that's what I was going to ask. What did you what do you uh, I mean, do you get a sense for how they um, uh, for the treatment that they uh, gave to Meg Ryan's side of the story versus Tom Hanks side of the story? Well, you know, this time when I was watching it, I really noticed that Meg Ryan's side of the story had a lot more pinks going on. Like, I swear, every room seemed to be pink somewhere. And so that was an interesting little thing to note. Tom's seemed a lot bluer, and uh, there is no red in the film, so to speak, until, until the end. They, no, until, well, when they first meet, when she comes to the airport, and oh, he meets, yeah. sees her at the airport. There's a whole team of soccer kids all that's wearing right. red, kind of cut across, and then she's driving a red car, and that's when red is introduced, when the two of them are first brought together, and then it comes in much more prevalently, obviously, right at the end with the big heart on the side of the building and all of that. Uh, I, I think I noticed most, um, kind of apparently, the, the, the mourning tones. He's it, it, Tom Hanks yeah. tends to be in a lot of grays and drabs, and, right. and uh, you know, I, ironically contrasted to um, uh, unbelievably awesome Seattle weather. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this the the shooting schedule of this film must have been really short. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think there's only one rainy scene in there, isn't there? Yeah, right, right. Most <laughs> mostly pretty nice. Uh and uh but but yeah, I mean you get you get sort of that picture of the the sort of romance lighting on the even on the poster artwork, which is, is an homage to it, fair to remember. Um and um you know, where you see her in the the reds of sunset and you see him in the blues and grays of kind of the end of day and yeah, I really, I really like that. No, it's it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's really lovely. Uh, okay, so the film did fairly well for a, for a modest, tiny little romance. It did well for itself. Yes, it did. Um, it garnered two Oscar nominations, which is great. Um, you know, it did get nominated for best original screenplay for all of these folks. It, that lost out to the piano. Um, in retrospect. I think at the time I really enjoyed the piano quite a bit. I still do, but I think in retrospect, I probably would have picked Sleepless in Seattle. I just think this is a really sharp script. And then the song, A Wink and a Smile, uh, Harry Connick Jr., which is a really great song. That kicks in, actually, when she uh, starts stalking him. Yes. (laughs) A a lovely song to contrast with somebody stalking somebody. Um, That lost out to Streets of Philadelphia from Philadelphia, which is uh, coincidentally another year another tom hanks film uh, it was a really good year for tom hanks it really was streets of philadelphia and is a great tune though it I is mean, and, really. and yeah bruce and then you know philadelphia i mean the two great songs for that movie and so uh this little wink and a smile didn't have much of a chance but but yeah financially <laughs> excuse me it did 
really well, really well. Are you having a moment? Are you having? Are you, <laughs> are you having an event? It is. I think this was an event. I'm a little verklempt. <laughs> oh, <laughs> woo! Yeah, I did have a moment. Excuse me, there. Goodness, that was nice. I know. You okay? It? Did you swallow uh, your tongue? Don't ever do I, that. That's not a good thing to get to. It's just the romance, darling. It's getting to me. <laughs> All right, so this movie did well for itself. Cost $21 million to make. I didn't find anything about prints and advertising, so I don't know how much more they spent on it. But So all I have is just the $21 million. Uh, domestically, the film went on to make um, not quite $127 million, and then internationally about $101 million. So all told, it made almost $228 million. Pretty uh, handsome chunk of dough. So when you adjust all that and you look at the profits per finished minute, it made uh, just over $3 million per finished minute. Well, that's not bad. No. Where does, that, like where does that put us on our, where, where does that put us on the spreadsheet? It puts us at number 10. I was just going to ask, did it break the top 10? Look it beat out the Bourne Ultimatum, and it's coming in just below 7. Good company. Yeah, absolutely. Ugh. What a fantastic film this was. Yeah. You know, we uh, didn't even talk about that key line. It's a key the entire the entire premise of this film is built on a single line uh from Jonah. I think I think he needs a new wife. Yeah. That is the that's like the the sweetest most incredible uh thing to have a child say. Well, and it's... and better that, you know, it happens. You don't want every child to say that. No. Like I wouldn't want my child my children right. just say that. You don't ever want a child to have to no. say that. That's this really... is really important given the context. <laughs> yes, it is. It absolutely is. But again, and that ties into the whole uh, the whole open of this film. And it, it's not just about him being broken uh, yeah. because of the loss of his wife. It's really about this child who is also in a place where he's almost past the point of pining for his mom and, and really kind of missing her. Now it's almost like he's afraid of losing his dad too. Yeah. And, and that's, I think in that, that sequence is he's being put to bed, you know, I'm worried I'm going to forget her. Uh, that's, that's an incredibly powerful moment for, and, and for both of these, you know, these people to come together in this time and say, you know, this is, we have a job to do. And part of that job is, is, you know, we're, is not to forget you know, where we've been, but also to move forward. Yeah. Um, that's really powerful. All right. It is. It really sorry. is. No, it's good. It's good stuff. The, um, I was going to say something about that. Now I forgot. Oh, well. No, it's, all right. it's all, it's all good stuff. Uh, one of the things I want to make sure we note about this film that, you know, even though it was 20 years ago, there was a fantastic uh, nod to dietary health. I'll take you to Chinatown for dim sum. <laughs> <laughs> Does it have wheat in it? <laughs> so for the gluten-free crowd, this film is certified gluten-free. That you know that was actually funny because my wife and I were laughing about that line in particular. Going, <laughs> did they not know that dim sum had wheat in it twenty years ago? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there, there are definitely some elements in the film that do date it back yeah, just to that, a little to bit, that and, and especially like the computers. I mean, you have to remember oh, this yeah, film came yeah, out yeah. in '93, a year before the World Wide Web broke uh, right. loose and took over the world. 
Um, so it's funny looking at these computer systems that these people are using, like the way that she's trying to track him down with her computer, we were laughing at because it's just so dated now. And this was just one year before the internet really came did it, to be. Did it make you want, want one of those keyboards? The big, <laughs> the big mechanical key switch keyboards? Those I was thinking great. about that thing. That is Andy's kind of keyboard. I'll bet he likes to clicky-clack. I do have big clickety-clack keyboards. You know what we haven't talked about is, this, is the, the whole sort of cultural uh, awareness of uh, privacy in this film and, and how it is sort of stomped on in this film. And at the time, it was not uh, really a big deal. But here we have a woman using her uh, position of, of authority uh, <laughs> to, to stalk this, this man based on, you know, hiring an investigator and, and, you know, getting information that she was not, that, that would not have otherwise been ready, readily available to her. And, right. and that was somehow okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, haven't some people just been fired recently? <laughs> right, that that's sort of a thing today. Yeah, that we don't right. we don't really do, and and so this this would be an interesting movie to remake. Uh, <laughs> such yeah, a big to... part of it is <laughs> is really about this cultural acceptance of of something that uh, that we've we've kind of moved on, like you know corded phones uh, and see, now she could keyboards. just now she could just Facebook him. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's true. That's so true. see, it's it's so much easier now. It is actually we've made it we've made it radically easy. But then the movie's about a different thing. Yeah. Right. All right. right. Uh, let's. Uh, Nora Ephron. I was just going to say, Nora Ephron really know, knew how to tell these stories. I think she did a great job with *When Harry Met Sally*. She did a great job with this. Uh, I I really enjoy the stuff that she brought to the table in her films, and it's a it's a sad loss that uh, that she passed away. Uh, gosh, when did she pass away? Just uh, just last was year. Just la uh, was it just last year? Yeah, last June, June Ugh. 2012. That was, that was sad. Yeah, she was 71, though. I always thought she was younger, so, hmm. yeah. Yeah, Any yeah. Well, all right. Well, let's rank this thing. All right, let us rank it. So you head over to what you want to do is you want to, you want to jump on your computing device and you want to head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. And there you will find all of the films that we have ranked, and you'll be able to um, look at our top 10, top 20, you know, 30, and so on. And uh, you'll see our golden list, our top 100 films from the next reel, and uh, you'll be able to weigh in and see and, and do your own ranking and, and friend us and follow us and like it. I don't know what you do. What's the verb for... <laughs> for <laughs> Flick I chart. Guess, flick us. You can you friend can, us. You can flick <laughs> us on flick chart and... Uh, <laughs> You know what would be great is this would be Flickchart, if you're listening, this is what you need to do from now on. On your friends list, right, you should apply the same ranking logic that you do to <laughs> movies. Because rank then you should you should be able to rank your friends against one another just like you do for movies. Wow. Single elimination. <laughs> All right, go. All right. Sleepless in Seattle or thank you for smoking. It had to start there. <laughs> I know. That's I'm gonna, I, as enthusiastic as I am about Sleepless in Seattle, I'm going to start off there. At Sleepless in Seattle? At Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah, yeah. I am too. Sleepless in Seattle or the bank job? That's a hard one. It's totally Sleepless in Seattle. Well, I'm going to choose I, Sleepless in Seattle, but I want it to feel painful. I want it to feel hard. Yeah. You got Statham. Yeah. That's Sleepless. Sleepless in Seattle or the world's end? 
<laughs> you first. I'll still go sleepless in Seattle. Really? This this it has that that element of classic in it, and uh, this is a film that twenty years later it still stands strong. Yeah, I know you say that every week about something I or do. other. <laughs> that's my mo that's your refrain i uh the problem is is that you know as we've talked about the world's end i think that captures some some real con uh, kind of context for me right now maybe it's sure. because of where i am in life whatever i think it's and tom yeah, hanks was just a kid when he tom made tom hanks this. is a mere youth <laughs> uh I'll, I'll go with sleepless in seattle for for um for all those for, the for kids, all the lovers out there for the kids mostly because i i'm excited to see what happens next Sleepless in Seattle or The Hurt Locker? Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah, still go Sleepless. Sleepless in Seattle or Raiders of the Lost Ark? Raiders I, of the Lost Ark. Lost Ark, absolutely. Sleepless in Seattle or Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Sleepless in Seattle. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Sleepless in Seattle or 500 Days of Summer? Sleepless in Seattle. That's what I was waiting for. All right, I will totally sleepless in Seattle. Look at that. We've now have two romantic comedies in our top ten. Sleepless in Seattle at number six, five hundred days of summer at number seven. Wow. We are sensitive. (laughs) Right? New age, loving, aware, vulnerable men. Yeah. We are not afraid of ridicule or shame. That's right. We'll go with our wives to see Magic Mike. We'll what, cry in half, dog movies. Exactly half of us would do that. <laughs> <laughs> Statistically, we're still relevant. <laughs> what are we doing? Uh, this now, this one. See, I feel like every week I've said this, but now this one, I feel like we may have. We, we th- now we're going next week. We have one more. One more. Was this that? This was that. Talk about dated. That one totally feels dated. What are we doing next week? Uh, well, I guess we'll uh, we'll see how dated this next one feels. We are doing Say Anything. A lovely romantic comedy wow. by the wonderful Cameron Crowe, Sarmento's favorite. <laughs> All right, was that are you being sarcastic? Cuz I am being sarcastic. Okay, cuz he doesn't like. Exactly. Is what you're saying. Right. That's, because that, of, that's what that means, yes. Because of his thing about almost famous. Right. But Ioni Sky. I know. That's all. That's all. John Cusack, Ioni Sky. I know. Joe Lies. This is a great movie. 1989. So that's what we're doing next week. Don't you even think it? Did you know that they made Sleepless in Seattle the musical? I did know that. Uh, started to. This was based on off of a book that was written by Jeff Arch, right? Yeah, uh, and and well, uh, I I don't know if it was a book, but it was he wrote the he book. He wrote the book of the thing, right, based the on thing. his story from the from yeah. the show. And it, it was it was delayed for years. It finally just premiered earlier this year. Yeah, uh, with uh, David uh, David Shore for the uh, as the producer. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, they talked. Uh, he he talked about that in this um, script to screen thing, and I put the script to screen thing in the links at the, at the nice. dot com, so you can you can watch this about a half hour. It's a it's a good conversation, and and he talks a little bit about the musical, and he said, <laughs> and I think the the lesson, um, I, I think the most important lesson is, yeah, I'll never do that again. 
<laughs> uh, so, uh, but it's wow. it's worth watching. It's worth watching. <laughs> My goodness. And he talks about a lot of the you know going back and trying to make right a lot of the th- the you know the decisions and the choices that you make for the movie that you just can't make for the for the for the musical, which is a very different a, a very a very different medium. <laughs> he says. Yeah, now, they had now to, wiser. They had to uh, stop the show, push it back a year, and basically you know get new creatives in and start from scratch is what it sounds like Man, aye, aye, dark aye. days oh well all right so say anything next week uh and then Our... we're, then we're finished officially for like 10 years of romantic comedies we're done we got two <laughs> in the top 10 so that's it we're done we'll have done our film put a fork in it back to just <laughs> horror and action and some obscure uh spanish films yes that's it that's okay. all we're going to do for that on it. All right. All right. Good night, Andrew. Well, I've got to run. La Decorateur calls. <laughs> That's right. It's not the sparkly, sparkle, special sparkle water or whatever it is that you drink. Sparkle, Sparklestein? That should be your new nickname. <laughs> I'm not even going to... I was not going to gratify that with a response, but then you had to say Sparklestein. Soda stream, you tool. Sparklestein. I think Sparklestein works much better. <laughs> I know you feel funny, but I'm cutting all of this. <laughs> yes, I'm sure you are. Woo. Do you want to? Do you want to tell let's the people? Let's get started. Let's, why don't you tell the people where we're where we're from? <laughs> I think you should. I think I need to mute for a second. <laughs> I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, Go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today.